you are now ready for a new episode of Minions and Musings. Evil Jeff back behind the mic. It is the convention report for day two, the Saturday of Mystic Con. No, not Mystic Con. Haha, <laughs> just joking. Mythic Con. Mystic Con's up in Connecticut, I believe. But Mythic Con. Ah, oh, so yeah, I had gotten up very early this morning, got ready, drove. And made it there for my 9 o'clock game, had a 2 o'clock game, and was looking at uh, trying to get into some open gaming at 8 p.m. tonight. And spoiler alert, I started feeling kind of crappy about 5 o'clock. And realized that in the long run, I think what it was, uh, just not something in the air some smell or something was bothering me and just kind of gave me a generalized headache. Once I left and was outside, uh, actually went to a restaurant to eat, within half an hour I felt better. And at that point I was like, yeah, I'm not going to go back in. Even though I really wanted to, I saw one or two board games that I was rather intrigued with. I said, eh, we'll call it a night. So, what did I play? And what did I see? Uh, first game, 9 o'clock this morning, was Castles and Crusades yet again. The same GM, Hoyt, from the day before was the GM for this one. Different scenario, of course, well, thankfully. And we had a full table this time. So all six players. Um, and ESPN says that I must know things about the sports world for some strange reason right now. Doesn't it know I'm recording? God. Interesting mix. Uh, we had basically four of us out of the six that had been uh, were grognards, I guess, for all intents, intent and purposes. Um, but we had two uh, young gentlemen, uh, definitely in that 25, uh, 22 to tw- 28 range. Um, they were 5E only players, but they were playing in some other games to kind of see what things were like. So we got to tell them about, you know, this rule set, Castle Crusades, you know, how to think about it in terms of, you know, think somebody, the GM said, you know, you can think of it as 5E light. You know, don't have all the little things in there. But the world is different, which we had to kind of correct. Uh, one of these players actually was playing a halfling ranger. And he was really hoping for that luck that you get in 5e. Jim's like, no, we don't have that. But we have some, they have different racial abilities here. He goes, and they really kind of harken back to more of the original view of halflings. And everything. And once he explained it that way, young man was like, oh, okay, that's cool. Um, this scenario involved us hunting down some gnolls that had raided a camp, no, excuse me, a caravan 
So we were tasked to go back and find them and retrieve a couple objects uh, that had been stolen from the caravan. Well, actually a lot of objects, a lot of ale and things like that, but there were two specific magic items. Our party had a druid, uh, a full elf druid, a human thief, a dwarf fighter, the human cleric, the halfling ranger, and myself, a half-orc barbarian. And everybody in the party, everybody at the table, oh, he's playing barbarian. Yeah, we know what he's going to be like. If you read the Castle and Crusades rule book, read the description of barbarian, it does not read as some anti-magic, unknowing, you know, stupid Cro-Magnon type of character. That's not how they're listed in there. I mean, it's not anything that's talking about them. And I had read that, and I said to myself that I was not going to play the stereotype. I might give them a taste of the stereotype, but I wasn't going to play it. Because that's not how the rule system had originally described them. So after the very first interaction, uh, when the NPC that was giving us our quest asked for my name, and I gave the character's name, and that's all I said, everybody else was like, oh, I am such and such, and I do this, and such and such. That's not what she asked. She wanted to know who was helping her out. So I told her. And when everybody else snickered, I then turned to him and not in a, you know, using sort of the voice I was using of the character, basically said, you know, she didn't ask for what I did or who my family was or what flavor of meat I like. She asked my name. That's all. Why you give her so much information? And I think at that point, everybody realized I wasn't playing the stereotype they were going to think of. But those stereotypes did get in there. I was really trying to play, because I knew a little bit about the scenario just from the description, but trying to play something that was not going to be the party leader, trying to stay back. And I especially wanted to do that personally because we had two more or less new players to the system. And, you know, as the older players, and I could see it with the other more experienced players, they wanted to do the same thing, giving them the opportunity to play and so forth, not tell them things. And we were telling each other things, but we weren't telling them how to play. We were listening to them and encouraging them. Yeah, yeah, do that. So forth. And and, yeah. Or, and explaining things on their character sheets that they may not have seen. Because they definitely were um, looking at these character sheets and making sure they understood what was on there and how to roll and so forth. And by the end of the game, they reference the sheet to make sure, oh, I've got this amount of bonus here when I roll, cool, boom. And they really weren't looking at the character sheet for answers. They realized part of the way through there, uh, a playing is like, tell us what you're trying to do and we'll tell you if you can do it and what you need to roll or if you need to roll. 
And I think it opened up their eyes because one of them had not played in a way like that and had mentioned it. So it was pretty fun. In the end, due to conditions of the scenario, I ended up becoming the de facto leader. And it, the scenario ended up calling for it when after everything happened. So, uh, quite fun. If you want to know more about the scenario, you can actually go to Dungeon Magazine number 46. It's in there. Uh, to Bite the Moon, I believe was what it was called. Uh, interesting one. It was originally written for D&D 2nd Edition. But we had a, a great time playing that. And lots of little jokes here and there. And, uh, oh, and I guess one thing. A, the young man that was playing the cleric was conflicted, you know, because he ended up getting charmed, commanded, I don't remember which, I think it was a command, to protect the bad guy. He's like, I'm really sorry about this. Oh, I can't believe I got to do this. We're like, play the character. What are you supposed to do? All right, do it. You know, we we looked at him and we're not being, you know, we were being unapologetic too. It's like, do what you got to do. It's what happens. Yeah, if you had not been so bold as to be at the front of the party, maybe this wouldn't have happened. But it did, so let's do it. So it was, it was rather fun to encourage him to play into the role and just have fun with it. The second game I played was at 2 o'clock and was a Hero 6th Edition adventure. It was Space Pulp. Hero. Space Pulp Hero. Yeah, okay. So not the normal Pulp Hero, but a Space Pulp Hero um, and as the GM, uh, basically described the scenario, he actually had, uh, sheets typed up about it. It was hearkening back to those, uh, radio dramas of the 30s and 40s and then the early TV shows, um, hearkening back to the movie theaters of the Space Pulps, um, Flash Gordon, you know, Think of that, you know, the old movie serials of Flash Gordon and everything. And that was the vibe we were having. Um, had to kind of explain some stuff to the people. Another full table. And this one was split up half and half. Uh, well, actually, not exactly half and half. It was thirds. Uh, of the six of us, two of us had been playing Champions hero system for a long time. And I say champions because uh, the other player had started off with champions uh, third edition but had played first and second edition and third edition way back then. And I started off with the big blue book which was fourth edition. So, you know, both of us already have been playing this hero system for some time. Two of the people at the table, older gentlemen, probably a little bit younger than myself, and 
young gentleman, probably pushing, I don't know, mid-twenties at the oldest. Possibly could have been a student over at UNC Charlotte. Was there, and both of them had played a little bit. But it was hadn't it been quite some time back since they had last played. So they had an idea, but they still were not exactly as certain. We had two other people there. We had a young lady that was a college student. That was evident by the ID that I saw her holding as part on her lanyard and everything. And then a teenage boy that was the son of uh, one of the gentlemen there at the table. Both of them had never played before. And it was uh, the young lady said that when she had read the description, it intrigued her because she, all, you know, she wanted to know more about the hero system. But you know, the scenario intrigued her. So we are these uh, space rangers, the part of the Galactic Patrol, and go through a pretty fun scenario there, uh, originally written by the GM. The started off with sort of a combat that we weren't really expecting. We're on a um, resort planet. We're actually on vacation. I guess I should tell you about the characters real quick. It was rather funny. We've got the quintessential uh, ranger, space ranger there of the Galactic Patrol. Uh, You know, good-looking, brawny, not too smite. Not too smart, you know, just, you know, there are light bulbs that are slightly brighter than him. <laughs> and that's how he does. He's, he's oblivious to certain social cues. His sister is also part of the Space Rangers. She's an engineer, very good, and has, as I, as we figured out throughout the game, has a unhealthy obsession with her brother. Um, a robot that had been rescued, uh, found, and brought back together. Now, we say robot. It's not an android or synthesoid. It was a robot because you have to think more of the uh, 30s and 40s. But this one, I would say, looked more like, um, oh, what was that? The silent movie of the 20s. And I can't quite think of it, but, you know, sort of female robot like that. We had an alien uh, humanoid that was a scientist, but also had psychic powers. The young man next to me, the teenager, was playing a cat person, which was rather humorous. And this cat person had huge amounts of experience, which was interesting because with the amount of experience, we would think that the cat person would be second in command of the whole thing. But he was a little bit reserved. And that was just his nature being a little shy and everything. And his dad did try to encourage him to you know, speak up, play in a little bit. I was playing just a medical doctor that was on part of the Galactic Patrol and everything. But you know, this doctor was, you know, I do medicine when it's time to do medicine. And all the other times, it's party time. It's time for the poker game. It's time for drinking. It's time for something. You know, it is, oh, especially golf. Lots and lots of golf. So 
So it was a great scenario. I thought it was it was great to see these younger players look at the character descriptions because that was the nice thing about RGM. There were personality traits already given, and everybody, save the cat person, played into them. And there were more than more than once that we sat back and were just dying laughing at the situations that occurred due to the personality traits that were asked about or given to us on the character sheets. The fact that the robot is basically in love with the, you know, captain of the star of our uh, of our ship, our little space ranger group. Um, but he's oblivious to that, doesn't understand it. The sister is jealous of her attention to that. So it's a you know, weird love triangle. And the rest of us just sitting back, just trying not to be involved <laughs> in that. And my character being blamed for all sorts of things. It was funny because the young man playing the captain of our ship, you know, he's very uptight. He's always on duty. Even when he is on leave, he is on duty. <laughs> so he was playing up as, you know, he had no clue as to how to relax. So my character, you know, who enjoys relaxing and doing things, was trying to encourage him and tell him how to do it and so forth, which led to more than once of his, of us bantering back and forth about I told you it was they are in trouble like no 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 that's not that that's a party that's you're hearing a party that that's not a protest over there <laughs> it's just back and forth and it, you would have I, I think if we could have had that particular session uh recorded and done as an actual play uh it would have done pretty well in the end, we uh, both games we won. The, we finished the scenario and uh, the objectives. Some fortuitous rolling here and there, uh, especially uh, in our hero game. Several times that we rolled uh, threes and fours, you know, very low numbers to uh, get very high amounts of uh, differential in what was needed versus what was rolled, uh, which led to greater success here and there. Um, we also did that one thing that you always hear about. Don't split the party. Yeah, we split the party. But at that point, it was to our advantage. If we had all stayed in one spot, we would have missed our opportunity. By splitting the party, we were able to cover more ground and it actually worked out rather well. So, that was good. Mythicon's a nice convention, uh, relatively small. We probably had in the 400 person range. Um, it wasn't. There were time. There were some rooms that were very uh, cra were crowded and noisy. 
Um, no more than, I think you can see, there, the two biggest rooms had eight tables each. And then some other rooms that were slightly smaller, they only had six. Um, if you were in that room of six, a lot of times when I looked at the schedule events in there, there were only three games running at a time. In the room with eight tables, uh, sometimes, usually it was four, but there was, uh, I think yesterday on Friday, uh, one of the rooms actually had uh, five games running at one time. Um, and I understand that, well, thankfully that room apparently had air conditioning and, uh, but it was rather noisy in there. So it was, it was kind of hard to hear from what some people said, but overall, you know, if you are in the North Carolina, South Carolina, Atlanta area, um, you know, you're talking, if you're talking like a four hour trip to Charlotte, maybe five hour trip to Charlotte, uh, it's a good convention to go to. It's not too big. It's not tiny. And there are plenty of games in there. You can look up Mythic Con online. Um, you'd end up going to tabletop.events and then looking at their uh, list of games and who's there. It was a very interesting moment. Um, as I was getting ready to leave, uh, get ready, um, heading towards the exit and passing by a lady and she speaks to somebody and I took about two steps and my brain said, dude, you know that person. You've seen that person. You know that voice. Go figure out where. So I turned around and followed her back in, trying to get her attention, but she couldn't quite hear me, and followed her into the dealer room. And when I saw her there, then it, then I started going, yeah, now I know where you're from. And lo and behold, she's back from the old early gaming days, right after I got out of college. Uh, living in Columbia and with the gaming groups that were around here, the convention that was put on by the university's game club down there. Um, she had been one of the people that would uh, basically be an exhibitor doing things. Uh, her store has changed now. If you look online, Obsidian's Caldera. And there was no, um, and I'm not sure if she actually has a web presence anymore. There was one once upon a time, but I don't know if she has one right now. But it had been forever in a million years since I'd seen her. Uh, she and her significant other had moved up to Raleigh probably about 2002, 2003 time frame. Been up there for many years. And going to a lot of conventions. When I saw her significant other come over, I looked at him and went, yep, I know you too. So, got a chance to reminisce about uh, a number of people that we knew from way back in the day, kind of catching up on them, 
you know, things about ourselves, etc. So it, it was great to see somebody I hadn't seen, let's see, uh, 20 plus years, maybe let's say 25 plus years, just about, um, and really be catching up. You know, they hadn't changed a huge amount except getting older, but so had I. But they were looking at me like, yeah, we kind of know you. And you know a lot of the same people we do. But it was just like, just just on the edge of things. And I knew just enough people and said, hey, there's these situations and these people. And they're like, oh yeah, you had to be part of that group. <laughs> so it was a, it was good to see them and chat with them. I didn't buy anything from her because quite honestly, I didn't need any more crystals or anything like that. Just not what I need. <laughs> but it was great to catch up there. If you get the opportunity, go to Mythic Con. Lots of games available there. Lots of different varieties. While there is a bunch of, you know, the D&D &D Adventures League and Pathfinder Society and Starfinder Society. Um, there were plenty of other RPG games out there. Savage Worlds, Forged in the Dark, Cipher System. Um, let me kind of go through a couple of these real quick here. Oh, I don't know what's going on there. Can't change anything. Uh, Legends of the Five Rings was there. Vampire, Masquerade, 5e, uh, Dread, uh, Blade Runner. They had a Pulp Cthulhu game that ran. Um, I've mentioned about Paranoia uh, that I would like to have done, but I couldn't get in on that one. Uh, GURPS. Uh, there was a Transformers, Call of Cthulhu, 7th edition, Werewolf. The Apocalypse 5th Edition, uh, Genesis. So, a, a lot of games that I think are not just the standard things that you would see and everywhere. Um, it wasn't D&D &D all the time. Nothing but D&D &D or Pathfinder. In fact, it was a Savage Pathfinder game, which uh, I think a couple people might be interested in hearing about that. Um, there was another one that seemed, oh, I think they were playing Firefly on one of them. That, you know, it's been around for a while. Oh, and for Carl over there, the Geomologist, Twilight 2000, 4th edition. <laughs> um, John Large, I believe I've heard you say you've been playing Easy D6. They've had one, they had a session actually tonight. Um, I had looked at it, but it had already sold out by the time I started trying to get through, uh, trying to get um, in there for that. So, I would have liked to have seen some older games. And two of the GMs kind of were like, yeah, we'd like to see that. Um, the surprise from one of them was like, why wasn't there like an OSE? game as much as that's been sold and I did hear people talk about it that there was no OSC scenario was 
you know, the big piece. Uh, big, you know, missing puzzle piece, they think. And we had a little discussion after the uh, 9 o'clock game this morning uh, about some things and mentioning OSE. And one of the young men at that game had heard of it, but didn't know much about it. So we kind of you know, talked to him about it a little bit. Um, and he was, you know, quite interested in that. So why they didn't have any OSE here, uh, you know, it was one of those weird, you know, I guess maybe oversight, maybe nobody wants to try to run it. Um, you know, in, in my head, I'm like, I would do that. I mean, there's a, uh, tomorrow morning at nine o'clock, I'm not doing that. Um, I've got obligations on Sunday. Uh, but there is a learn to play D and D fifth edition. Why not have a learn to play OSE? That should be right up the alley there. I mean, I think the, it would be much easier to play that. And there was definitely some people there that would have been like, yeah, um, new players and maybe one or two older players, you know, though I guarantee you it felt like if somebody had been putting out an OSC game, it would have been filled really quick just because people want to go and play it. And it would have been a lot of old grognards and such in there. Well, hey, thanks for listening to me ramble on about the games. Love to hear your thoughts on them, your commentary. Appreciate you dropping by. We'll catch you later.